The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I can't think of a better guest today to help us find food truth than Anna LaPay. She is project director of Food Mythbusters, the real story about what we eat, and we'll be talking about that. You may remember her from a previous interview when we talked about her latest book, Diet for a Hot Planet, The Climate Crisis at the End of Your Fork, and What You Can Do About It. She is a prolific author and speaker. She's traveled the world looking at the food system. And her latest project actually has to do with a a subject that is near and dear to my heart as a parent and many parents listening out there, and it has to do with marketing to kids. Anna, welcome. Thank you, Melinda. It's a pleasure to be on your show again. Well, I have to tell you, I love Food Mythbusters, and I want to make sure everybody knows to go to the website, foodmyths.org, and there is an entire list of food myths that you bust. But we're going to focus today, I think, because of our limited time, on your latest project and your new animated movie that's coming out September 25th about marketing to kids. So tell me a little bit about how you got interested in this topic. Well, I got interested in the topic because I found that after about a decade of talking around the country about the benefits of eating good, yummy, healthy food and whole foods and organic food, that one of the responses I got from so many people was this question of, well, do young people really want to eat this way? And isn't the growing profits of McDonald's and Coke and Pepsi and all of these junk food makers, isn't that evidence that young people really want fast food, really want junk food, really want that high-fat, high-salt, high-sugar diet? and that they won't really eat healthy food. And I knew from my own experience of working with friends around the country to bring healthy food into communities that when given the choice, young people do want good healthy food and do crave it and go for it. And what I started seeing was that there is a deliberate strategic effort by food manufacturers every single year to create the consumer demand for their products. And it's really wanted to kind of take on this myth that young people don't want good food and to expose that heavy hand of food industry marketing. And so you had your own personal experience. You know, we work in this field of nutrition and and agriculture and food systems, and all of a sudden we become parents and the world changes on a dime. Mm -hmm. You know, I never thought, for example, I might be interested in child nutrition until I became a parent myself and realized what we as parents are up against. So you had a little experience that you described on your latest TED Talk, which I want to also recommend to our listeners. If you go to TED Talk and search for Anna LaPay, you'll find her excellent talk on food marketing to kids. And you talk about your experience with your daughter's infatuation with Dora Band-Aids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I never thought I would be that woman that you would find at the drugstore in the middle of the night desperately searching for Dora Band-Aids to, to, uh, to avert a toddler meltdown, but that was me. And, uh, yeah, it was one of those moments where, as a parent, 
I hadn't introduced my daughter to the Dora character, and she came home one day from school and basically had fallen in love with this character who arguably is very lovable, is cute, sweet, adventurous. It has these great storylines around her. But she also sells products. And so in addition to Band-Aid, she's on packages for cupcakes and crackers and ice cream and, and all kinds of foods that I don't want my daughter to desire and crave because she sees her friend Dora on those packages. And so I mentioned this in my TEDx talk, just to give just one mom's one specific example of how pervasive marketing to kids is and how food marketers take these characters who our children fall in love with. I mean, truly, my daughter worships the ground Dora walks on and uses that love against them and against us as parents and puts that wedge between us and our children that as a parent makes it much harder for me to make healthy choices for my kids. Mm-hmm. And your children have not entered public school yet, is that correct? They haven't yet. The Dora-loving older one is just four, and the younger is a year and a half. And, and you know, this is something that I think is so critical to this conversation about marketing to kids, because one of the things you hear all the time when I talk about this is that, Anna, isn't it up to parents? Mm. And parents can say, no, parents are the ones that are buying these foods. Parents are the ones making choices. This is really about your parents, your responsibility as a mom or a dad. And I agree. I mean, parents are very responsible for the health and well-being of their children. But what people have got to, to remember and what a lot of people don't realize is how this marketing of junk food to kids happens in so many aspects of our children's lives that are beyond the parents' control. So once, for instance, our children walk through that door of their school, we would think that that as a nation that we would share this value that that should be a commercial free space where kids aren't marketed to and advertised to. And and unfortunately, that's absolutely not the case in American public schools today. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that by design, we are leaning towards the privatization of our public schools, and that introduces more commercialism. And I can tell you stories just from my own children's experience. I have a son that's 29. So I remember the first time I saw, he walked into his kindergarten classroom and there was a Pepsi calendar. And I thought, huh, what's mm-hmm. that doing there? And it really all went downhill from there. And now I'm, you know, gladly I'm, I'm no longer in the public school system with regard to my own children, but it has only gotten worse. And I, one of my pet peeves are McTeacher nights where mm-hmm. children are encouraged to go to their local McDonald's. And a certain percentage of the sales then go towards the school. And the schools being so hungry for funding because of federal cutbacks and state cutbacks, they are desperate for that money. So I think part of the conversation is certainly what you're doing in terms of awareness, but also what you're also doing in terms of taking action and how we can intervene. So what are some of the bigger upriver issues that you see facing us as parents, and how do we... How do we solve this problem? Well, you raised the McTeacher's example, and I think that's a really good example of kind of the new wave of advertising and marketing, where as corporations have had pushback from parents who've stood up and said, this is not acceptable for you to be targeting my children in the classroom or in the lunchroom, that food and beverage companies have morphed a lot of their current way that they market in schools and 
kind of rafted in the package of philanthropy. Mm-hmm. So uh, some people call this philanthro marketing. So it's kind of under the guise of charity, corporations are going into schools, and but essentially still to sell their products. And McTeacher's Night, you mentioned, is a, is a really clear example of that. And, you know, with the McTeacher's Night, on average, the schools are, are netting $600, $700. We're not talking even about thousands and thousands of dollars. And what McDonald's gets in return is this incredible goodwill for their brand. It's the association of teachers with McDonald's. It's bringing kids and their families into the McDonald's for that night. There's other efforts like Coca-Cola has this huge program now called Coke My Rewards where you get points for buying Coca-Cola products, whether it's Dasani bottled water or Coke or Sprite. And Coke has done a very intentional job of marketing that rewards program to schools, even to the point of getting PTAs to push my Coke rewards to their student bodies to get rewards for their schools. But if you scratch a little bit beneath the surface, you discover that the rewards are so puny compared to the products that you have to buy. So in one case, we did the crunch the numbers, and it was something like 55,000 cans of Coke to get just one physical activity pack for your school, just like a couple jump ropes and some balls. And, you know, you could just buy that directly without having to to steer your children toward soda purchasing. So I think that in terms of what we can do about it, I think – big piece of it is this education and awareness building piece, and especially as corporations have gotten much savvier about how to shape shift their marketing to make it seem more innocuous or make it seem beneficial to communities to really reveal it for what it is, which is pushing their brand, pushing their broad product, and inoculating themselves as corporations from public resistance to their presence in communities. Mm-hmm. You know, I used to know how many miles you'd have to walk to burn off one of those cans of Coke. That's, but, right. that's another that's feature. Partly, right. I mean, this is this is the thing, Linda, as you know more, you know, as well as anyone, that what's heartbreaking about this is we're not just talking about kind of privatization in the abstract or, you know, how these brands are are getting into our schools and, and having kids choose one product over another product. What we're talking about is a, a type of marketing that's influencing the dietary decisions and dietary choices of children that sets up their health for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. So we know that kids who are overweight, kids who are obese, you know, that it has the potential to really be creating lifelong health problems and lifelong habits that become more challenging to transform as of kids get older. So, again, I feel like this isn't just this kind of abstract, do we, you know, in theory think that public schools or public spaces should be privatized or not. We're really talking about we're really talking about a phenomenon that's affecting the bodies of our children. Mm-hmm. And I loved your comment about the onus being put on parents, you know, we make the decisions. And oftentimes, if an individual or a child is overweight, we blame them, even though we set up their environment to be working against them and their parents every step of the way. Exactly. And, you know, you talked about this, you know, what is it that we can do about it? And I mentioned part of what we can do is this awareness and education, and I think part of that awareness is to really reframe the debate. We're not talking about parental choice. We're not talking about blaming parents. We're really talking about a set of shared values that really creates spaces that are commercial-free and acknowledges that 
it is unethical and deceitful to target advertising toward children and teenagers and to realize that other countries you know, have actually put in place policies to limit that marketing. I use the example of Quebec that passed a law that made it illegal to market advertised to, to children and teens junk food, and they saw fast food consumption go down 13%. So we're talking about really kind of shifting how we understand the role that policymakers can play in protecting kids and teens from this kind of marketing. And I also believe I read where, as a result of that policy, they have the lowest rate of childhood obesity mm-hmm. of all the provinces in Canada. So mm-hmm. we know that if children eat more fast food, it's certainly a predictor of obesity. So wouldn't the reverse hold true as well? Remove the marketing, right. remove the fast food, and help solve the problem. Well, I don't want to give away the last line of your TED Talk. <laughs> but if you don't mind sharing it, I think it is one of the most powerful statements Getting back to that whole issue of, well, you know, if you're a parent, it's your responsibility. What did you say to that? I said very clearly that my children, all of our children, are none of your business. And I said that to the food companies and the soda companies that are trying to sell our kids on their products. Exactly. If we are the parents and we're responsible, then don't talk to our children. And you know, That's I, right. We'll talk to our children. Exactly. We'll tell them. Yeah. We'll explain to them what's healthy or not. I remember yeah. years ago, Michael Jacobson from CSPI described why we shouldn't put televisions in children's rooms. And he had this great visual. He described a marketer coming to the door, knocking on the door and saying, excuse me, um, could I speak to your children for a couple of hours alone? Right. And... You know, we we talk about how long, you know, we have been looking at this problem in society. And I mentioned earlier to you that why I think you've got an edge on this problem is because of your mastery of social media. And listeners, if you go to foodmyths.org, you'll see what I mean. Anna has created a tremendous website, and she's put together a wonderful team of people who can really communicate well. But as much as you're doing social media, and parents around the, the world are using social media, so is the other side. And while we used to be able to say, okay, you can watch television, you've got to be in the living room, and I've got to be with you, now children, every child, it seems, you probably have the statistics on this, you know, have a, a mobile device where children are being targeted through little individual screens of their own, and there's nobody else watching. That's right. And this is what I think is particularly concerning about this moment is that we have the Federal Trade Commission uh, has some, some great data on how much the food industry reports that it markets to children. And, and in the last report, the FTC noted that the food industry itself reported that it markets to the tune of about $1.79 billion, so almost $2 billion a year in targeted marketing to kids. And in this report, I thought it was interesting that the FTC noted that this was actually a slightly lower number than in their last assessment of marketing to children, and they kind of celebrated that as progress. But if you if you look beneath the surface of those numbers and you, you really look at where how those numbers are shaking out, what you'd see is that what the food industry is doing is simply spending a little bit less because they're shifting where and how they're marketing to kids. So they're shifting away from television advertising, which we know is so expensive, they're shifting away from that a little, not much, but a little, and they're shifting really quickly to that social media space. 
that online space. And at the moment, there's very little regulation about how they can do that and how they can target kids. I was on a, a website that Kraft Macaroni and Cheese develops for kids, and you're in the site. It looks like lots of fun. You're making art with Kraft Macaroni pieces and and it's called Dinner Not Art. You can get these prizes if you give them, you know, a lot of your personal information, which these companies are then using to track your practices on whether it's your cell phone or your iPad or your computer. And I noticed in about eight-point font in the bottom right-hand corner was their privacy policy. And you could click on that. And, yes, you would find that about a 1,000 words through this several thousand-word privacy policy, you had a two-sentence line of a note to kids. And it said, you should ask your parents before entering your personal information. And I was, I laughed out loud because I thought, you know, what could be more clearly a joke than what 10-year-old is going to click on the privacy policy and read all the way through it and then say, oh, yes, I should have asked my mom before I gave this website my name and cell phone number. So we're talking about a, a way of reaching kids that's mining their practices on the Internet with tons of consumer data. They're mining their social networks through Facebook. And it's just it's really sophisticated. And we are, as advocates, are just on um, this is the beginning of understanding just how pervasive this way of reaching our kids is. Mm-hmm. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Project Director of Food Mythbusters, Anna LaPay. She is a national best-selling author. She's an educator. She's a founding principal of the Small Planet Institute and Small Planet Fund. You may have remembered an earlier interview we did. Her most recent book is Diet for a Hot Planet, The Climate Crisis at the End of Your Fork and What We Can Do About It. And Anna has traveled the world, really, understanding food systems and how we can make a healthier food supply and and improve public health. And I have to tell you, I had to laugh, too, when you said that, because about the privacy statements, I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I click on those frequently, and then I get so overwhelmed by, like you say, the eight-point font, and mm-hmm. I don't want to read them either. So there are warnings in there. But who really has the time to right. look at that? Right. And what and what these websites do, and I've, I've spent a lot of time on them to, to see what they're doing, is a lot of them are oriented around contests or games or rewards programs where you're incentivized to give up personal information to get some kind of benefit, whether it's a higher level in a game or the ability to be able to vote in a contest. And in the process, you're giving up your personal information. You're also giving up access, in many cases, to your social networks so that these food and beverage companies are then using that data to better target you, to better target your peers, to understand your purchasing habits, and essentially, in many cases, also enlist you as part of their marketing effort. And as a parent, I think I'd probably a lot of other parents would agree with me that not raising my children to be part of the marketing army for Coca-Cola. Exactly. Well, I know that you're coming out with an animated movie on September 25th about marketing to kids. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So it's a six and a half minute movie, uh, relatively short, really kind of exploring a lot of the themes that you and I are talking about today, Melinda. Why is it that food marketing is so harmful? Um, How it is uh, so influential on purchasing habits, sharing with people data, for instance, from 
researchers at Yale that found that exposure to advertisements for food doesn't just get people and kids to purchase those particular products, that actually advertising for food, for branded products, gets people to consume more food, period. just gets you to consume more calories. Um, so we talk in this video about all the harmful effects of marketing to kids and all the ways that the industry infiltrates so many aspects of children's lives. And we end on a very hopeful note, sharing some examples of people around the country who've really fought back and in many cases won. And, and many of those wins are deeply small scale, but my belief is that that those are the building blocks to, to bigger wins in the future. And so I, I hope that with this animated movie, and we're launching with a number of partners around the country that work on this issue, uh, we're hoping to raise awareness about the harmful impact of marketing to kids, as well as raise uh, awareness about how people can fight back in their own communities. Well, I think using movies are, are critical in our fight against food marketing to kids, because as a filmmaker once told me, the beauty of film is that it shows by example and leads by example. So if you see someone in a film who's made progress, you can say to yourself, well, if they can do it, I can do it too. So I That's applaud right. you for creating this website and creating the movie, and I'm absolutely looking forward to promoting it to all of the parents I know who have been on this journey for a long time. Now, I also want to get back to your Food Mythbusters site because I think that just marketing to kids is one piece of it, but you've also explored myths in the food system that are extremely important to expose. For example, you have hunger and food security myths, marketing and advertising, cost and economics, the environment, food safety and health. And I believe your first video that's right front and center has to do with the myth that we need, for example, genetically modified foods to feed the world. So hallelujah for that work as well. <laughs> Thank you. And I want to just also let our listeners know that if you're specifically interested in this particular issue of food marketing to kids, you have a great quiz to take. It's just, gosh, what is it? It's not that long, 10 questions. And some of the information is absolutely mind-blowing in terms of how our kids are marketed to. But I was also very interested to see that one entire state it's the first state to pass legislation prohibiting brand-specific advertising of certain unhealthy foods and beverages in schools, and that state is Maine. How did they do it? Well, it's, it's a, again, one of these great success stories. What I think that the Maine legislature now is struggling with is to be sure it's enforced, to be sure that it's truly implemented. But I, I mentioned that in the quiz because I want to show people that this is possible, that there's this precedent for this kind of legislation. And there's a great group that I work with uh, here in California called Change Lab Solutions. And one of the things that they do is they help legislatures to draft and pass progressive policies, policies protecting public health, and they worked with the main legislature and they talk about how it was able to get passed and um, what that policy looks like. I would be really exciting to see other states pass a similar policy. I talk in the video, for example, about the city of St. Paul that passed a really good wellness policy for their schools that had provisions limiting marketing of unhealthy food in their schools. So there are all these different mechanisms that we can use to limit marketing to kids. Now, unfortunately, our Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, 
which really should be the rulemaking body that should have some teeth um, to really be able to really create strong regulations around marketing to kids, was really kind of uh, policies passed when, when President Reagan got elected that really made the FTC kind of unable to, to kind of take on that role. And so what we've seen instead are efforts like that example in Maine or examples from, from city councils around the country that are taking it upon themselves to restrict marketing to kids and put some strong regulations in place. Mm-hmm. And I think we need strategies, too, in dealing with a system that is so hungry for funding. So when a teacher says, oh, gosh, I don't have a problem with McTeacher Night. It's the only way we could get a playground put in. Right. I think we need to ask harder economic questions about why don't schools have enough money? Why do we have to depend on substances that harm our children on the one hand to get something that benefits them on the other? And who really wins out here? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I remember when you and I went on that, that research trip to the Twin Cities in Minnesota, yeah. seeing what one of the school districts in that area had done, where they looked at this question of funding and looked at this question of this unhealthy food in their schools. And what they realized is that if they brought in-house all of the accounts for food at their sporting events and food at their award ceremonies, as well as the, the day-to-day food, you know, lunch food and, and, and breakfast for their students, that they could actually use the profits that they were getting from being their own vendor at their own sporting events and award ceremonies and use that to subsidize some of the healthier food in their cafeterias at the school as opposed to contracting out to either fast food chains or other food services to do those sporting events and do have those vending accounts. And I remember that trip so clearly because it was this great example of how you can actually solve for pattern, which is what one of my favorite authors, Wendell Berry, likes to call it, where if you look at how your problems are interconnected and you see those interconnections and you solve for them as opposed to dissecting your problems down to their parts, that you can actually create really innovative solutions. So on the one hand, they saw the school districts of unhealthy food. They saw their funds streaming out of the district by hiring outside contractors for those events. And they found this great solution that really was a win-win for the district. Well, all of those win-wins are highlighted on your website. With just 30 seconds left, do you want to leave our listeners with any last message? (laughs) I guess my latest theme song is the kind of we can do it message that, you know, getting bombarded with $2 billion in advertising every year seems overwhelming, especially when that's about 40 times more what the Centers for Disease Control spends on nutrition and fighting obesity. But what I've been so encouraged by is seeing examples from around the country of how communities are really promoting healthy food for their kids and doing things to get marketers out of their schools. And so... I'd like to leave you with the the spirit of we can do it. I love that, Anna. And I want to thank you so much for doing this work. We are indeed an army of parents protecting our children, and you are leading us all. So I want to remind our listeners that we've been speaking with Anna LaPay, and she is the principal or the project director for Food Mythbusters, the real story about what we eat, children's marketing, children's being targeted by marketers, and so much more. 
I want to direct you to her TED Talk as well as her great website, foodmyths.org. Remember to take the quiz to see how much you know about what's going on behind the scenes. And I want to close by thanking Anna, of course, for being my guest, and to thank our listeners for joining us, and to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hamilgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Anna, again, congratulations and a hearty thank you for doing this work. Thank you, Melinda.